Looking at the book of Ezra tonight, we'll get about two verses into Ezra chapter 5. If you were up on Facebook, you saw the heads up on that. And we're taking a, a look at the book of Haggai, because this is a prophet that is mentioned in Ezra 5, and we are told that he comes in and he says some things to help these folks get going. So, let's uh, start here in Ezra 5. Last week we looked at the at three types of opposition resistance that the children of Israel were getting. This is not saying that there's only three types of opposition. This is just the three types of opposition that they were receiving. And that was the discourage and frustrate, the legal barriers, and then the forceful opposition is what they faced. And so we spend time with that in Ezra chapter 4. But here in chapter 5, we come to the spot where we see that the work on the temple had stopped, that apparently the opposition was successful. And uh, we pick it up here at verse 1. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltai, and Jeshua, the son of Jazadok, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. So we wanted to see what exactly Haggai had said because all we really have is that uh, Haggai and Zechariah came and prophesied and then they got busy again. So we wanted to take a look at what was done because what happens here is that Israel is discouraged. They faced legal barriers and then they were forcefully opposed into doing the work and the work did stop. So how do we get to the place of being discouraged in doing what God called us to do and get ourselves back into doing those particular things? And so we're going to take a look at the word that Haggai spoke to them. And so in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 1, in the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, the governor of, of Judah, and to Joshua. Now here... Jeshua is called Joshua. We said the names are very similar. It seems like it's just a derivative of, of that. But Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, and so we're going to get into things that he said here, but this would be the month, This he gives us the <clears throat> second year of Darius in the sixth month on the first day of the month. This is the sixth month of Israel, of their months, on the first day of the month. Now, if you remember when we went through some of the... Uh, feast and so forth, the first day of the month of every month is festival of new moon. And so there were sacrifices, there were things that came then, so this seems to be coming on that particular day, the festival of the new moon. <clears throat> I gave you some references in your outline if you want to go look those up, Numbers 10, 10 and Isaiah 1 and 13. I'm not going to look at those here tonight, but you can if you want. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Now, I found this to be a very, <clears throat> excuse me, a very interesting statement. This people says, this is the Lord speaking, through the prophet. The prophet has received a word from the Lord, and the Lord has said this to uh, Haggai, and so Haggai is passing this on. But these are the words of the Lord that he is speaking. This people 
says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So they have reached a very certain conclusion. They are very certain that the time has not come for the Lord's house to be built. They don't sound like they're wondering about this. They're not wondering, well, should the Lord's house be built right now? Maybe this isn't the time. They're not wondering. This is very certain. The time has not come that the Lord's house should be built. So they have reached a very certain conclusion, but it's not God's conclusion. Now, many times we've done the same thing. We've come to some very certain conclusions, but God's not in it. It's not God's opinion. You've heard other Christians, and it's easier for us to hear it from other Christians. They have some very certain conclusions. I don't think God wants... I am certain God doesn't want to do this. God is not doing this. That is not God. They'll come up with these very certain conclusions. And a lot of times they're not based on anything at all. Whatever it is that they have based this conclusion on is wrong. Because it is God's desire for the house to be built. But they're not doing it. So... Always uh, keep that in mind. Be careful when we reach very certain conclusions that we have based it on something that we can have a very certain conclusion. And I am not telling you at all that you should not have certain conclusions. You should not become very certain about certain things. That, no, I know that's not God. If you have, have um, substantial things in the Word of God that you're basing it off of, if the Lord has shown you some things, and you have come to that conclusion based on what He has told you, what has He has shown you, what He has taught you, you can have them. But here we have it that they're very very sure, very certain, and very wrong. So we have to be careful ourselves. But Christians today will say things like, God must not want me to do, and you can fill in the blank, as it's just been so hard, been so difficult. No one helps me. It's no fun anymore. Or I just don't feel like I'm anointed as I used to be. I don't feel that anointing coming on me like I used to feel. So God must not be in it anymore. And we can use these things to come to some very certain conclusions. And we could be wrong. That's what happens with these people. There are so many natural things that can bring us to a supposedly spiritual conclusion. A lot of times people are using very natural things. To come to a spiritual conclusion. You'll find people who will come to a conclusion that God wants me sick. God wants me injured. God wants me to suffer through this thing. Because it has not gone away. Not based on anything in his word. Just based on the fact that it hasn't gone away. I have failed in this endeavor to be healed. So therefore it must be God's will. And they're very convinced on it. I mean the guy that Jesus came up to. And he's over by the pool. How many years he was there by the pool. And he's very convinced, I'm sure, that God wants this to be. But God didn't want it to be. The man who was born blind. How convinced was he and the people around him that God wanted him in this condition? The disciples even had the opinion that either he sinned or his parents sinned. That obviously God wanted him in this condition. And we can keep on going on. The woman with the issue of blood, how convinced could she have been that God wanted her in this condition? But God didn't. And as soon as Jesus came on the scene, there was a change. Be real careful about what you have become real certain about because it may be that you were wrong. I have, um, I use this, I think about this sometimes in this example. And um, when I when I run, I started something uh, a lot of years ago. 
and there's these little straps that I put on my knees. Actually, it rests just underneath the knee. It's not a uh, knee brace, but most people assume that it is. And so I have these straps that go underneath both knees, and most people say, oh, you're having knee problems. And I'm not. The straps, if you, if you know anything about these particular straps, there's a name for them. I just don't remember what the name is. But you put these things on, it takes some of the stress off the knee. That's all that it does. In fact, sometimes I've gone out and I forgot to put them on. Eh, no big deal. I just go run. <laughs> it's not a, not a problem. But I usually try to remember to put them on because it's supposed to help. Now, many years ago, I was, I was struggling with some things in the knee and, and the um, uh, guys at the running store were told me about them and said, well, try these. It's, a, it's not something that will heal anything, but it will take some of the stress off. And so I put them on for a while and it took a little while, uh, some time for the knee pain to completely go away. Once it went away, I just kept them on. But most people who see me run, they'll, they'll say, oh, you've got a knee problem. No, I don't. But you see, we base those conclusions off of natural things. We have absolutely no idea what's going on. But uh, And you probably have had people that make conclusions, come to conclusions about your life, about things that you're doing, based on something that they saw, but they read it wrong. People don't need necessarily anything factual. Because you'll see many Christians and non-Christians alike. They have nothing factual. They have no basis of understanding. But I have assumptions and I am not afraid to use them. Those assumptions will get us in trouble. And they made an assumption here that they, however they got to it, they made an assumption that it's not time to build the house of God. Now I wrote down some examples here. I gave you some space. Couldn't give you a whole lot. I gave you some, if you want to write any of these things down. Most of these you're very familiar with. But look how the enemy did this to other people in the Bible. Even the garden. No factual evidence. No, nothing that would bring her to a spiritual conclusion. But she looked and saw and decided that the tree was good. God said no. But she decided the tree was good. Cain and Abel. Cain has decided that Abel is my problem. And so he goes, sets out to eliminate that. Abraham and Sarah with Hagar. Perhaps God will give us an heir this way. Israel in the wilderness, how many times did they make the assumption that God was against them and wanted to kill them? Nothing to base that on, except that circumstances are not what they want. It's too hard. It's been too difficult. We don't have any water. We don't have any food. We have an army coming up against us. We have all these problems. God must want us dead. God didn't want them dead. God was there to protect them. God had done a lot of things to help them. He parted Red Seas. He uh, gave them a cloud in the daytime. He gave them a pillar of fire at nighttime. He brought down uh, rain. Uh, what is it? Manna from heaven, just like rain, would come down upon them. And so many other things that he had done but still they came to that conclusion. So they could have looked at the spiritual evidence and stayed with, a, with one conclusion, but they didn't. They went with something else. Israel with the high places. Well, they're just as good as the temple. God said, I don't want you doing that. But they decided that we can do this anyway. They came to a conclusion that the, that the high places were just as good as the temple and that we can just worship on the high places. And how many times in the Word of God does it say... Yet Israel continued to worship on the high places. God didn't want it. 
God said it through his prophets. God said it in his word. But they came and they justified it and they they looked at other ways to, to do this. King Saul with David. He wants the throne and will kill me to get it. That was an assumption. There was nothing spiritual to base this on. David did not have that impression. Jeroboam, the people will leave and eventually kill me. There was nothing spiritual to base this conclusion on. It was all natural. It was all what... Uh, the the enemy told him about what was going on in the natural. Joseph came to a wrong conclusion about Mary and was ready to put her up for divorce. But the angel had to talk with him, and so he didn't. The disciples came to a wrong conclusion about Jesus in the storm on the boat. Don't you care? Mary and Martha came to a wrong conclusion about Jesus arriving late for Lazarus. They thought he didn't care. Now here's one one last one. In the end, Israel will come to a wrong conclusion about the Antichrist and make a covenant with him even though God forewarned them. God told them this is what's coming and they are still going to make this covenant with the Antichrist. This is what's coming. It is a wrong conclusion. They based it on something. It was not spiritual and is against God. Now that's just, that's a, not a short list, but it is not an all-inclusive list. You can keep on going. The Word of God tells us so many times that people came to wrong conclusions. They were different conclusions than God. They were not based on anything spiritual. And yet many times people will think, well, this is spiritual. This is right. This is what I should be doing. The enemy loves leading us to a conclusion not based on any spiritual facts or understanding and all against faith and trust in God. All those conclusions, they will lead you to a place that is against faith and trust in God. They come to this thing, this part here, and they say, the time has not come. Now, I thought that statement is absolutely amazing. The time has not come. Why did they make the trip from Babylon all the way over to Judea? Why did they make that trip? Because they felt like the time had come. Circumstances had lined up. Prophets had spoken. Things were being fulfilled. In their spirit, they felt the leading. I'm sure the Lord was leading more people than came, but some people didn't make the trip. So they made the trip because of that. They left the lives they had and the jobs. They started working on the temple. They battled opposition. And then they come to this conclusion. They went through all that and then they come to this conclusion. Well, it must not be time for this to happen. Huh. God made a heathen king come to a place where he decided to let you go. Now, I was doing some more research on Cyrus, and I found out, I heard this two different ways. So I'll tell it to you both ways, because I'm not sure which one is actually true. I heard it said that Cyrus actually authorized several of the nations who were taken captive to go back to their countries and to rebuild. They were to rebuild their temples, that he did not just finance the Jewish temple, but he financed other temples under the agreement 
that you in that temple would make prayers for him. I thought, wow, that is interesting. But he wanted all these guys, whatever ones he, he did, wasn't apparently just Israel. Now, I've heard other people say it was, they focused on Israel. I could not tell you that it was only Israel. There seems to have been some other nations. I don't know which ones they were. I haven't been able to find that out. I may still do some other research in that area and see if I can find out. But it seems like there were some other countries that he said, go home, rebuild your temples. Just make sure that you pray for me to your gods. And so that was one of the things that Israel was supposed to have done when they came. It was to pray for Cyrus in the um, his endeavors and the things that he would do. Now, if we do, if we do all that we know to do, if we as Christians, we have an assignment from God, we have a call from God, we have a, a, a thing that we're doing for God, and if we do all that we know to do, we give a great effort and prayer and fight off all kinds of enemy attacks, but still seem to be losing, still not seem to be overcoming, very often we will come to the conclusion it must not be God's will or it's not God's will at this time. So before we can point a finger at Israel, we got to make sure that we check out ourselves. Have I done this? Well, we better be moving a little further here with Haggai. So this people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways consider your ways you need to be taking a look at the ways in which you're going you need to bring these under consideration because you apparently are going in a wrong direction you need more consideration for this now there's a real interesting uh, statement here that I want you to see is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses in this temple to lie in ruins they have come to the conclusion that we can build nice houses, but it's not time to build the Lord's house. This is what they came, this is what their purpose was to come down here, was to build this house. To build, the, to get this, this going. But there's a word in here I want to draw your attention to. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your, this is verse 4, in your paneled houses? Now, I looked up that word. Just about every single time this is translated outside of the King James Bible. The King James Bible uses an old word. But most of the other translations do use the word paneled. Found one that was different. And let me see if I can find... Where, where did I put it? Uh, the, the New Living Translation is the one that translates this a little bit different. And well, I'll find that it'll come, come up here sooner or later unless I... There it is. Okay. If the New Living Translation reads this, Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? So it uses the word luxurious there. The idea of, of paneled is, the, the wording here is very fine wood that is used in the house, maybe like a wainscoting, we would, we would call it a wainscoting. Some things that really dress up the house. So if you begin to think about this, when they had the agreement with Cyrus, there was a letter that said you could get some cedar from Lebanon. And so Lebanon was supposed to send the cedar. They haven't built the house of the Lord. We did re read where they went and got the wood. What did they do with the wood? <laughs> so 
you may get a little different view of this if because we, we covered it earlier in Ezra they had the wood they went and they got the wood from Lebanon so they have the cedar but they don't have the house built we'll also look at one other verse that will come up that will help us to, to see that so they had to do something with the wood you can't just this is fine wood this is really nice wood and so it seems like what they did was they built it into their own houses now if that word if that got back to Cyrus they could be in trouble so it may be they didn't do that until after Cyrus said uh Going out of power, they just kind of hoped that the word wouldn't get back. I don't know what that was about, but I'm sure Cyrus would not be very happy if they took the the nice wood that he used for their temple. Once they built it, he wants prayers made for him, and they used it for their own houses. But God has taken note, and so he, this this word is used to say, "Hey, you built your houses, and you got some really nice wood in there." But you have concluded that it's not time for my house, but it is time for yours. Now, there was no opposition to rebuilding their houses. There was only opposition to building God's. There was only opposition to building the wall, Jerusalem. And we saw that the, the wall that they're building there, it's not a, a substantial wall. It's just sort of a, a short wall. And when Nehemiah comes out, he'll see this short little wall that they had built. And it's pretty pitiful, but... Just because they were building, it got the people around them upset. So there was opposition to the rebuilding of the temple and the building of the little wall that they were putting up. But when they switched over and they were rebuilding their houses, there's no opposition to that. It's just kind of like today. There is little opposition to biblical teaching that is tainted or fully compromised with the world's view. You can teach all you want to out of the Bible. As long as you don't teach that the Bible calls certain things sin. As long as you don't do that, you can teach anything you want out of the Bible. And the press and the media and the people around, they will, oh, they will claim you. They will tell you how, how great you are. But you get out there and you start teaching the Word of God calls this wrong. The Word of God calls this sin. The Word of God says you shouldn't be doing this. Oh, now we're called, now we got some trouble. There is opposition to the Word of God when it is the Word of God. When the Word of God has become compromised, there is not opposition to it because the enemy wants that promoted. He wants people to take the Word of God that is corrupted. Teach what the Word states and those who oppose it will hit you from all over. You make a stand for Islam, for Buddhism, things of, of that line on on anything controversial, little attention is paid. I don't know if you remember it, but um, the Ayatollah was over here. He was visiting, visiting one of the campuses. This is years ago. It's not anything recent, but years ago. And he made the, uh, uh, the somehow the homosexuality issue came up. And this was at a university. Of course, you know, in a university, it's uh, very accepted. And you need to make sure that we make all people feel comfortable and so forth. And so somebody asked him, he said, what do you do with uh, gay homosexual people in your country? And the Ayatollah, or the person who came over from representative of him, I forget whether it was him or a representative of him, um, said, uh, well, we don't have any. And the people in the audience laughed. And he got real serious. And he said, oh, do you know of any? Do you want to tell me who they are? <laughs> Because in that country, and others that are over there too, uh, homosexuality is punishable by death. 
if they find out that that's your your they, they kill you that's it but you see that's okay because they're not promoting it on the word of God it's when you promote it on the word of God that the opposition comes so make a stand Islam Buddhism these other well, not a problem very little attention is paid but if you are a business person or if you're just a person who has a view and you stand up against the social issues if you stand up against gay marriage if you stand up against homosexuality if you stand up against men using the ladies bathroom if you stand up against men being on women's sports teams you're going to get called out there's going to be boycotts you're going to have a, a movement to cancel you out uh, just uh, uh, recently the, the hockey player from the Flyers Ivan Provorov and he uh, he didn't make any kind of a crazy statement he just basically said he just stayed in while the team came out with these uniforms that were supporting the gay and lesbian group and uh, they had their gay pride night and so they had their rainbow uh, warm-up jerseys on they weren't what they're going to wear during the game and he says no that's not something I'm going to do and so he stayed in the locker room and that was it he didn't make any kind of a protest on the ice or he didn't make any kind of a statement he just stayed in the locker room and that was it and so, of course, they came after him afterwards. And so he let them know. He says, if you have a question about hockey, I will answer any of your questions. If you have a question about anything else, I will leave. Or something along those lines. And so uh, that was it. And I heard, um, I didn't try and buy one myself, but I heard that in all the stores that his jersey sold out. And then nationally, shortly after that, his jersey sold out. You could not buy and Ivan Provorov, uh, uh, Jersey, and they're not—they're not, they're not uh, cheap. I mean, we're talking the real ones. They're—they're they're, what, one fifty, two hundred bucks, I think, in, in that range for a, a real hockey jersey. So people were laying out some cash to show some support for this. And all he said was, uh, "I'm not telling. We're not. I'm not trying to point fingers at anybody or tell anybody that they're this, that, or the other thing. It's it, in my religion, and you know, it's a very, uh, very old, very uh, liturgical." Uh, group that the church that he was with, but he says we it's not something that uh, we, would, we that I can do, and so he just stayed in, and then after that I heard the New York Rangers the entire team decided not to wear the jerseys for the uh, for the warm up. There was a second team who also followed the same suit, and I cannot remember which one that was, but there was a second team. The entire team said we are not going to wear the jerseys, and they stayed. Oh, they didn't put them on. They went out in their normal jerseys and they, they warmed up that way. Uh, I haven't heard if anything more has, has happened from that. But the opposition that would come, it, just just simply, I just stayed in the locker room. I didn't come out and kneel. I didn't come out and make any kind of a protest. I didn't point fingers at anyone. I didn't wear any slogans on my shirt. I just stayed. They won't do it. A lack of opposition doesn't mean that God's, I'm sorry, the lack of opposition. If you have a, if you're pursuing something, there's a lack of opposition on it. Doesn't mean God's blessing, but the, but the kingdom of darkness's apathy toward the thing. Very often people mistake the two. I don't have any opposition for this. Well, that's probably because the kingdom of darkness is apathetic to what you're doing because you have tainted it enough or you've wandered away from the Word enough that it doesn't care. But you put that light, you let the Word of God's light come out in what it is that you do. 
And you look at how much attention that you will get. I've said this often. If the press people despise a political candidate, it gets my attention. I don't care what party they're affiliated with. If the news media hates them, I'm looking at them. If the news people love them, I'm probably not not pursuing it. Because the news media is as evil as they come and they hate light. Despise light. That's a, that's a good indicator. For me, it's a good indicator. I will take a look at somebody that the news media hates. Let's pick this up here, verse 6. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Or we say this again, consider your ways. Your ways are not going in a good direction. You're trying to make ends meet, and it's not working. You're not getting full. You you drink, but you're not you're not filled. You clothe yourself, but it's inadequate. You earn wages, but it seems like it's in a bag and there's holes in it, and you don't have as much afterwards, because the blessing of God is not on this. He said, "Consider your ways." You have given the priority to your things and not God's. God's not opposed to them having a nice house. He's opposed to them at uh, putting away His, not, not pursuing the opposition that was there and just giving into it. God takes notice when we face opposition to do what He wants us to do. He takes notice of it. I gave you three verses there. You can look them all up later. I'm just going to read Hosea 4, verse 10. For the, This is, uh, of course, Hosea is a prophet before they had gone into captivity. For they shall eat, but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry, but not increase, because they have ceased obeying the Lord. Obedience is the big thing. If God has said, go build my house, then you need to go out there and build his house. If the Lord has said, don't do this, then we need to make sure we don't do it. If the Lord has said, I want you to do this, then we need to make sure that we do it. Obey what He says, and we will find out that what we have is more than enough. It will become what we need it to be. When we go the wrong way, we will find that the wrong way has a bad destination. It is not a favorable destination. It's one that we'll probably want to stay away from. Verse 8, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. Well, they were supposed to get the wood from Lebanon. That's apparently not there now. So he says, go up into the mountains. This is the king's, what's known as the king's forest. Go up there. There's some wood up there. Go up there and get some of that. So go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. 
So whatever it is that we do, it is not going to produce what we think that it should because our priorities have gone wrong, because we are not obedient to do what God has said, because we have given in to the opposition, we have become discouraged in doing what God has said, we are no longer being obedient. God takes note. Now, at one time their priorities were right, but somehow they got off. They had right priorities at one point. They left a lot of things. There's a whole lot of people back in Babylon who wouldn't leave. God was encouraging them, look, I need you to go. And they said, no. But these were people who had their priorities right. And they said, we're not going to stay here in Babylon. We're going to go make the trip. We're going to rebuild. We're going to do what God said to do. We're going to bring this land back. So they had their priorities right at one, one point, but they got off from having their right priorities. Just because you had your priorities right five years ago doesn't mean that the enemy has not been working on you to get you to have your priorities tainted. Going off in a different direction. Don't let them do it. So it seems like the opposition, I'm sorry, but it seems like the opposite reaction here than the one that David received. Remember how, how David wanted to build the Lord a house? Let's read what happened when David said, I want to build the Lord a house. This is Second Samuel chapter 7 and verse 1 through 7. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now, he didn't have a word from God at that point, but it just seemed like this would be a good thing. David, God is with you. If that's something that's on you to do, go out there and do it. I think that's a great idea. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? So back here in David's day, he said, I never asked for one. Now he's asking for one. Maybe because, hey, I had one before. Um, I, don't, I don't know. He doesn't explain the difference here, but what he is telling them is, I'm sending you back. I want you to rebuild that house. The people in the world saw that as the temple of God. They need to see it as the temple of God again. And so he wants that house built. He wants the world to see that God took them out of the land, but God also put them back in it. But right now they're not following that way. They built their houses, but not his. And so the world is taking note. Well, they came back, and apparently building the house of God was not that big of a priority. So maybe it wasn't God who brought them back. Verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, Sheltiel the, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. So they obeyed the message of the Lord. It was sent through Haggai. The leaders obeyed. The people obeyed. That would seem to me, this is what, it's, it's, it's citing the leaders. It's citing the people. They obeyed. That means that at one point, the leaders and the people 
all fell into disobedience. The high priest whose job revolves around the temple had apparently fallen off the bandwagon to get the temple built. Zerubbabel, who's a descendant of David, the rightful king, he apparently fell off the bandwagon. He's not trying to pursue this either. So the word was given for everybody, get obedient. Do what you need to do. And they obeyed. I mean, how fascinating is that, that Israel gets one word and obeys? They recognized that the Lord had sent Haggai. Now, just a sort of a side note. This is the first word that we have written down that Haggai delivered. I am sure this is not his first word because he had to establish some kind of credibility with the people. And God had used him before and they had seen the hand of God on him. They had seen the anointing of God on whatever ministry he was doing before. And then when the word of God came, this is Haggai. We, we know Haggai. And we can trust that what he is saying came from God. And so they listened. And they altered their lifestyle based on what word came from this this particular man. Haggai's ministry, it doesn't we don't have it going on for very long. It's just a few months. Well, there are four words, and the fourth one you might be able to split up into two because it's given on the same day, but it's given, it seems like it's two independent ones. So maybe you can make a case even for five words over the course of a few months. And then that's it. But the people respected him. So something he had to do before this brought that respect and more than likely he continued to do ministry after this book is done. They weren't recorded. They weren't seen as uh, something that needed to be written down. But these particular ones were. Verse 13, Then Haggai the Lord's messenger spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day, on the sixth month, in the second year of King Darius. So the word came on the first day of the sixth month, and on the 24th day of the sixth month, in the same second year of Darius, they started to work. That means in 23 days from the time that the word came, they got busy on the house of God. Now, you might say, well, that's, that's over three weeks before they got. No, they probably were obedient immediately, went up into the woods. They got the wood. They got the things ready that they needed. They got some tools that they needed. I'm, uh, I went through in some of the history things on this. And it depends on how long you think the the uh, the work went on be beforehand. But the work stoppage seems to have been anywhere from 14 to 18 years. On all the ones I looked at, I had one place that said 14 years. Another one said 15 years. Another place that said 16 years. Another place that said 18 years. I didn't find any that said 17. I don't know why that was. But 14, 15, 16, and 18 years for the break for this time... I didn't see anything less than 14. I didn't see anything longer than 18. It seems to be somewhere in that neck of the woods that this work stoppage had gone on, that people had no longer been working on, on the temple. 
because of the opposition. And then they started it in 23 days. So they had to go and get the wood. They had to climb up in the mountains, cut the trees down. This is not like going over the lows and buying a bunch of, buying a bunch of wood. You're cutting down trees. And then you gotta take those trees and make boards out of them. Uh, I mean, the amount of work there is just incredible to, um, uh, to even think about. Uh, I just give up on the project myself. I, <laughs> I know I'm not cut out for, for all that sort of stuff. But it took some time to get all the materials. And once they did, they, they set to work on it right away. That's, to me, 23 days, this is incredible obedience. This is getting right to it. They heard the word. They got right to it. They got all the things together that they needed. And in 23 days, they were hammering. They were working. They had things ready to go. When we become discouraged from doing what God directed us to do, our flesh wants sympathy, empathy, and understanding. Isn't that the way our flesh is? I want people to be sympathetic. I want people to be empathetic. I want people to be understanding of how tough I have it. And I want people to understand all the things that I have gone against, all that I have done, and I want them to pat me on the back and tell me how good of a job I did. Well, you know, not everybody would have done as well as you did, and you stuck with it for a long time, and we just want that kind of stuff to go on, right? But those things don't empower you. They just help you feel good about staying right where you are. But God sends prophets, He sends teachers, He sends people with exhortations and directives to point you to where you should be or what you should be doing. That's what He does. If you go through the Bible, not just here in this book, but if you look at the other books, He doesn't say, oh, David, man, I I really feel for you and how you fell into that sin. Uh, But you know, you've been a good guy. No, you're the man. (laughs) Slap you upside the head. This, this is how the prophets come. They come in and they basically slap you upside the head and let's get going. You, uh, you shouldn't be doing this. Why are you going out of this way? You look at the people who, who left what God said to do. Jeroboam, when he leaves what God says to do, they don't come to him and say, hey, Jeroboam, come on. Come on, don't be going. No, they come over to Jeroboam and said, God has judged you. <laughs> and uh, he didn't like what the prophet came to him and said. Let him know. Someone's coming over here. They're going to destroy this altar that you just set up. His name is Josiah. He's going to come. He's the king of Judah. And he's going to come and he's going to destroy this. And your household is going to die. So God will send people to us. He'll send teachers to us. We'll hear messages. We'll hear exhortations. We'll hear directives. To point us to where we should be. Or what we should be doing. We fell off. We got distracted. We got tired of the opposition. We moved off. It's in the doing that recovery comes. There is no recovery in people being empathetic. There is no recovery in people being sympathetic. There is recovery in the doing. And this is what Israel found. Get out there and start doing. Get out there and start building the house like you were supposed to do. Get out there and do what God has called you to do. That's where recovery comes. Some people will shun such words because of how they make them feel. Well, that didn't make me feel so good. Well, I didn't really like what that had to say. Others are weary of how they have been feeling. I've been, I've been going this way. I've been feeling this way. And, uh, yeah, I just, I'm tired of feeling 
like this. I'm tired of, of feeling like I'm, I'm not pursuing what God wants me to do, what God has told me to do. And they'll endeavor to make a change. To do what God has said. Which type of person are you? You may have resisted the temptations of money. You may have resisted the temptations of fame, pride, distractions, whatever. You may have even given up business deals and jobs and comforts, but now you find yourself wanting those same things. I gave these up for God and didn't get back what I expected. So now I'm going to pursue them, even if the opportunity is a lesser one. Remember, Abraham left the promised land that God had called him to go to for Egypt because there was a famine. Lot left Abraham for a more luxurious looking land. Peter, James, and John went back to fishing. John Mark left Paul and Barnabas and returned home. But not all is, is bad. Elisha never turned away or left Elijah. In fact, Elijah even tried to encourage him. Leave, go. No, I'm not. I'm staying right here. Nor did Mary and Joseph. They never left that call. Daniel never left the call, never left the pursuit of his God. No matter what the world did around him, no matter what pressures they put on him, he would not submit to the way of Babylon. He continued in the way of God. He was even promised some things if he would, but he didn't go after it. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't, go, they didn't give in either. They were pressured. Do this. Good things will happen for you. They didn't do it. David. Oh, the times he, the pressure that was on him. Go ahead and kill Saul. Just be done with all this. Just go out there and kill him. You can move on. Jonathan never turned from what God had shown him. Jonathan knew, David, you're going to be king. And I'm okay with that. And I'm here to serve you and help you and do all that I can. Even Joseph in Egypt. Joseph in Egypt never lost faith in God. Never lost what God wanted him to do. He kept looking out for when he would be used to bring his family together. Just because you turn down the distraction or the temptation before doesn't mean it's done. Even Satan is said to return to Jesus at a more opportune time. Victories are not usually forever. The battle will likely return. Be ready for it. You may have won today, but it doesn't mean you won forever. The enemy is going to come back. He is going to try and get you at a more opportune time. He may not have been able to stop the children of Israel from leaving Babylon and coming down and building the temple. But he didn't give up. He kept coming after them. First he came after them with, let's try and discourage and frustrate them. That didn't work. Then he came after them with legal things. And then he came after them with force. Pretty soon they just became apathetic to the whole thing. And they just, well, we have our houses. That's good enough for us. But God says, I am not happy with you and that's why your life is not going the way that you want it to be. Because you have not fulfilled the call that I gave you. Get out there and build the house. 
and they did. Well, uh, Haggai has another whole chapter and some more words from, and we will look at those next week because there's more to be be said. There's more to be done to turn this about. But they listened to the first one and they got things going. But next week we'll find out what happens in chapter 2. Well, Father, we thank you that we can be the kind of people that when you speak to us, we change. When you show us my word does not say that, that's what the world wants you to believe. We change. When the world tells us, oh, just compromise this belief over here, we don't compromise. We hold true to what you told us to do. Though we face discouragement, frustration, sometimes even legal battles in the world, you will help us to overcome. And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.